challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country with a pedal to the metal with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, 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 America. We appreciate you uh, dropping in on us tonight. The Kehala's here. We've all eaten well. Our bellies are full, and we're we're uh, we're enjoying the sun coming in through this long bank of windows. It's just a wonderful, beautiful day here in the Northeast. So we're privileged that you would join us. We know that uh, you have a choice what to do with your Sunday evening, and we certainly are honored that you join us tonight. The title of this message is uh, "A Living Hope in a Dying World." Living Hope in a Dying World, and you can uh, read more about this after the message tonight. You say, hey, I missed some of it. There's a couple of places you can go to retrieve it. Uh, it's free of charge. It doesn't cost you anything. DrSeanGreener.com, D-R-S-H-A-W-N-G-R-E-E-N-E-R.com, or TheNinjaPastor.com, TheNinjaPastor.com. If you go there under Listen uh, or under the blog, you'll see the narrative on it. And then also a quick link. It's real easy, super, super easy. While you're there, click on the little banner that pops up or a little panel that pops up there. Uh, put your name in. I don't care if you make up a name, just any name at all is fine with me, as long as it's not my name because then that's criminal impersonation. Unless you're rich, in which case I will be glad to be you for just a few minutes uh, or an hour, either way. Uh, however, however long it takes to buy a bunch of UTVs and land with a pond and or a lake, whatever, you we'll get that out of the way quickly. Pay my taxes ahead a few years. Look, think big, think big. Don't waste your time thinking small. Um, but and then your email address will be fine. If you're a Facebook person, go to facebook.com/backslash/theninjapastor. And then follow me on my regular page, which is uh, backslash SM Greener at the Ninja Pastor on Twitter. We'd be glad to have you. Thanks to the folks joining us in chat. It's good to have you. We had people listening from 19 countries last Sunday night. Praise God. And I heard from a bunch of them. And I'm going to be relating to you uh, something that was sent to me, uh, was exchanged with me this week from a listener. Pretty cool thing. On the banks of the promised land. This author is unknown. I have built my life on the solid rock far away from the sinking sand, and I cast my eyes to the home that waits on the banks of the promised land. There's a song of praise that is lifted there by the saints and the angel band, and I long to go and to join the choir on the banks of the promised land. Hallelujah, what a morning when I reach for that nail-scarred hand, and I'm led from grace to glory on the banks of the promised land. Every grief and pain that has found me here, Jesus knows and he understands. They'll be washed away as I cross death's stream to the banks of the promised land. Hallelujah, what a morning when I reach for that nail-scarred hand and I'm led from grace to glory on the banks of the promised land. Then I'll see the face of my Savior dear, beckoned close by his sweet command. All my burdens gone, I will rest at last on the banks of the promised land. Hallelujah, what a morning when I reach for that nail-scarred hand, and I'm led from grace to glory on the banks of of the promised land. Oh, who will come and go with me? I am bound for the promised land. The Bible often refers to the salvation experience as a hope, a hope. For instance, Shaul or the Apostle Paul, as most of you know him, 
was speaking of believers who had died when he said, We sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 Concerning the Christian, the Hamashian, the Christian, herein ever after referred to actually as Hamashian, the Bible speaks of, of his calling. Ephesians 1.18 Of every child of God, the Bible says, Hamashiach in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27 Here in 1 Peter, our text states that God, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again unto a lively hope. 1 Kepha, or Peter, 1.3. Salvation experience. Listen, the salvation experience is referred to as hope. Now, there's a big difference between the way that the world, we generally use the word hope in the world and the way the Bible uses it. When we in the natural use the word hope, it is in the sense of wishing for something. However, there's a major difference here because when the Bible uses the word hope, it is talking about a confident expectation of reality. Now, the reason that Bible hope is a confident expectation of reality is because Bible hope is based in and on God. Romans 15:13, the complete Jewish Bible, may God, the source of hope, fill you completely with joy and shalom as you continue trusting so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, or as accurately rendered, Ruach which is the Holy Spirit in Hebrew, you may overflow with hope. Now notice that Shaul, or Paul, uh, calls God the God of hope. Calls God the God of hope. The God of hope. Wow. The Bible says, Hamashiach in you, the hope of glory. Lively hope. Wishing for heaven? Are we just wishing for heaven? Remember I talked a minute ago, worldly hope is just, well, I hope this or I hope that. I mentioned real quickly, boy, if someone wants to use my name, I hope I can use their, if they're wealthy, I'll use their wealth a little bit, get me some stuff, give me a place to fish. I have to learn to fish first. But, hon, I know how to do that. I wish. I don't think it's going to happen. don't think it's going to happen. Worldly hope. Big difference here. God is the God of hope, the Apostle Paul says. Bible hope foundation in God. Talk about our salvation being a lively hope. We're not just wishing for heaven. No, we're not wishing for heaven. We don't sit here as believers and say, well, I hope that happens. We have that confident expectation of hope. Lively hope. We have a living hope in a dying world. The regeneration of our soul, you see, that's important here. First Peter, uh, or Kepha 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua HaMashiach, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope. Wouldn't you be happy with just enough mercy? Wouldn't we be happy with just enough hope? Well, God delivers more. He delivers it abundantly. More than we need. Even though at many times, now come on, saints, let's be honest here. Many times, most of the time, at the time, most of the time, at the, we don't realize that we have right then and there God delivered abundance. Most of the times we look around in our natural earthly way and we say, oh God, I wish I had this, I wish I had that, wish I had more. I'm reminded of what a longtime listener to my ministry recently related to me. Uh, she wrote telling me that she was recently divorced after 25 years of marriage, living for a little over a year with her teenage child in a beautiful, clean, and safe rented home and neighborhood after having left a million-dollar home. But she was feeling alone. She and her teenage daughter had been living there for over a year, seeing no one they knew in the neighborhood, making no friends there, feeling lonely. Then amazingly, out of nowhere, while going to their mailbox, they bumped into the 16-year-old the daughter's favorite preschool teacher. Now, she's 16 now. It was her favorite preschool teacher, and you know what? She remembered that teacher. She remembered that teacher, and you know what else? The mom said, welcome, by the way, to the Cahalan family. We're honored that you would join us. The mom was dear friends with this woman, but had fallen out of contact 
You know how we do. 16 years? How old are you at preschool? I guess. I don't know. I don't remember. I didn't go to preschool. I just skipped right to two or three, four years old, I guess, whatever, whatever number. That's a lot of years, folks. 16 now. The mom was dear friends with that person, but you know how we do. We fall out of touch. We get busy. The listener told me of their excited embrace at the mailbox. Oh, my goodness, I can't believe it's you. I can't believe it's you. And they laughed and they giggled, and she said they talked about their hopeful plans to reconnect. Now, here's the crazy thing. These women live not only in the same neighborhood, but literally one street over, 100 yards apart, if that far. This woman tells me she was lonely for a good Christian friend for so long, and yet not even 100 yards away, an old and sweet and trusted Christian friend lived where she had lived for over seven years. Hope and friendship just lived 100 yards away. Yet hope ebbed in the anonymity of a busy life. You know how anonymous we are. In and out of her house, we don't hardly talk to anybody. The anonymity of a busy life. And yet a new friendship was born again. Hope can be so near. But if our attitude and our expectancy is not for hope, we often miss out on those things that boost our hope. To find hope, you have to be open to hope. Hope doesn't always look like we think it should look. Sometimes we feel forgotten instead of begotten. Now the phrase begotten us again means that in the Bible that we have been born again. Yeshua said, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's recounted from John 3, 3. God the Father saw in us our lonely and hopeless life, and he provided hope to us. Now, we sometimes hear anti-church folks scoff at this wonderful biblical phrase, born again. I've talked to people about their souls who immediately render objections by arrogantly pointing out, hey, you know, I've seen folks of your ilk, you know, you bunch of Christians. <laughs> you claim to be born again, but I never seem to see any permanent change. They still have their... They still have their, and, and you know what, they live there and they display there, even though they think they're hiding, their hurts, habits, and hang-ups. So they aren't really perfect Christians after all. But the Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Hamashiach, or Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, Second Corinthians 5.17. Now, I want to ask you, are you ready to become new? Now, see, the thing that qualifies us for becoming new is in an instant. But it took hours and days of the Father to accomplish. Term born again is a good old Bible term. And believers, you shouldn't shy away from using that term, born again, simply because the world doesn't like it. I don't care what the world likes or dislikes, to be quite honest with you, but one thing is for sure, being born again means a changing and new Life. You see, when a baby is born, a new life enters the world. The same is true of spiritual birth. When a sinner turns from his sin to Yeshua Hamashiach or Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, I claim you for mine. A lot of people fail to make that step. Father, you are my Savior, and I am your child. You see, we don't make it personal. We don't make it personal. But when we do that, when we claim Christ as our personal Savior, a new life enters this world. I want to assure you of something. Now, this is this is something I, I do a little bit different. If you ever, if you're listening from around the world and you invite me to come, you need to understand I don't give a normal invitation because salvation is not business as usual to me. We have a living hope in a dying world because of the regeneration of our soul. The resurrection of our Savior bought that for us. First Kepha or First Peter one three through six in the complete Jewish Bible. Praise be God, Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, who in keeping with his great mercy has caused us through the resurrection of Yeshua the Messiah from the dead to be born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that cannot decay, spoil, or fade, kept safe for you in heaven. Meanwhile, through trusting, 
you are being protected by God's power for a deliverance ready to be revealed at the last time. Rejoice in this, even though for a little while you may have to experience grief and various trials. Now, I want you to notice, beloved, that our hope is the resurrection of Hamashiach, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look, there would be no Christianity, or more accurately, um, Hamashianity, really, if we're being accurate, if there were no resurrection. Shaul or Paul wrote, and if Hamashiach be not raised, your faith is vain. You are yet in your sin. Then they which are fallen asleep in Hamashiach or Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Hamashiach, we are all we are of all men most miserable. That's first Corinthians fifteen, seventeen through nineteen. Praise God. We have a living Savior. Christianity has a living Savior. If Hamashiach had remained in the tomb, we'd have no hope. In fact, the great Oliver B. Green, he said this, the greatest bombshell ever to explode in the face of an unbelieving world was the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Yeshua distinguishes and makes Christianity superior to all other religions of the world. Yes, I said superior. I used that word on purpose to all other religions in the world. Listen, folks, we got to shed this fear of closer examination of people around us, closer examination of our faith. I know in whom I have believed, and I know that he is able to keep that, what he's committed against that day. Listen, we've got to shed this fear of saying that our faith is superior because we are weak and God is strong. God has, can, and will always be able to handle the scrutiny of the natural world. My friends, I remind you, here and now in this live audience, we've all got nice full bellies. The sun is shining through. It's a beautiful, beautiful evening. And all those listening around the world, I want to remind you of this powerful truth. Founders of religions have lived and they have died, and they remain dead. But oh, the glory, oh, the wonder, oh, the joy our Yeshua Hamashiach, Jesus Christ, the flawless and eternally triumphant founder of the – look, folks, the New Testament is real, and it is living, and it is being played out right now before our very eyes. The founder of New Testament Christianity, yes, he did. He died. Oh, make no mistake, he died. There was no trickery, no Hollywood effects. He died. He was tortured for hours, and he died a gruesome, painful, awful death. Make no mistake, folks, he was tortured and brutally murdered by permission, permission, his acceptance on my behalf. And he was buried in a borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, and yet, and yet, he is alive. He is alive and I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide for me to walk in. Look, I mean no affront to the founders of different religions, but true is true and is most assuredly true, and you can verify this with a shovel if you want. You can go right now to the gravesite of Mary Baker Eddy. She's the founder of Christian Science, and there she lies. You can go to the gravesite of Charles Taze Russell, the founder of the Jehovah's Witness, and there he lies. You can go to the grave of Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, and there he lies. Now, let me say this. Many of my great Mormon friends, I have many, many Mormon friends, and they're at conference, LDS conference now. It is a, if you have Mormon friends and you say, where in the world did they go? Why aren't they here? Did they appear? Did the rapture happen? not take me? They're at temple, and it's a big, big deal. It's a big, big deal to them. God bless them. They believe in Jesus. There are a lot of ways that we part ways in our belief, but I'm telling you, every single Mormon I know claims Jesus Christ, and they live it boldly. However, Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, is in that grave. His bones are there. You can go to the grave of Muhammad, the founder of Islam, and there he lies. But let me tell you something, folks. If you go to the grave of Joseph of Arimathea, the tomb where they laid Jesus, he is not there. There's no religion other than Christianity that can point to an empty tomb and say, he is risen, he is not here. Mark 16, 6 says, in the verses, fullness, it says this. But he said, don't be so surprised. You're looking for Yeshua from Nazareth, who was executed at the stake. He has risen. 
He's not here. Look at the place where they laid him. Now, folks, there was, I know you know the story because you've been around Christian once, uh, Christian stuff once or twice. You've been to Easter. You know how it always, they say the same thing every Easter, I think, just about. Put him in the grave. Then the, the, the guards were assigned to the grave. And then all of a sudden, he's not there. The stone was rolled away. You've all heard it. It's not, this, can't, this cannot be a shock in the United States of America. And anybody around the world listening to my voice right now, if you have the Internet, you have access to this story. I can't, I can't be the first one telling some people in the world. Maybe, maybe I have folks in Russia, growing audience. I don't know why, but a growing audience in Russia. God bless you people. You've been through a lot of tough stuff. He's not here. He's not in that grave, that borrowed grave. I say it all the time. You don't need a mortgage on a place you're only going to be a little over three days. The resurrection of Hamashiach, the resurrection of Christ Jesus, is the bedrock upon which Christianity sits. You see, our salvation was reserved to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. He didn't say for somebody. He didn't say for somebody who gets lucky enough, looks well enough, has the right haircut, the right clothes. Maybe they're perfectly healthy. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're from the right place. Maybe they eat the right foods. No, he said for you, wherever you are, here in this live audience and around the world, you. He said to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. This verse, it speaks of our inheritance. An inheritance is wealth, folks. I don't know if anybody in here ever got an inheritance. I've not gotten one. But it's, it's it, listen, you get it because you're a member of a family. Now, I used to do estate planning many, many years ago. By the way, God bless you, Jerry. We love you. We miss you. We can't wait for you to come back. Get well, brother. We're praying for you. Folks, the only way you get it is if you're in the family. The only way you get this, look, we already have the earnest of our inheritance, Ephesians 1.14 says, which is the Holy Spirit. The word earnest here speaks of a pledge of a part given in advance. Now, my kids probably are going like, Dad, uh, what are we going to get? Because you don't have anything. Well, my son's like, mm, I plan on getting me some guns. My daughter says, mm, I plan on getting me some books. Right? There's good stuff, right? But it, but it's not big. Trust me when I tell you. I have some work to do if I want to give them a big inheritance. But a pledge, given in advance. Say, so you're my kid. You're going to get this. It's a Holy Spirit pledge. is the divine pledge of our future inheritance. Furthermore, the Bible calls, this is what the Bible calls us, joint heirs with Christ. Do you get what that means? Do you get what that says? As joint heirs, we share in everything that Yeshua Hamashiach inherits. Everything he gets, we get. Everything Jesus Christ gets from the Father, whom he sits next to to this day, we get. Have you thought about that? Listen, you're not going to be some peon in heaven. He's going to make you perfect. He's going to heal every sorrow you ever suffered in your life. Every tear you ever shed is going to be as a vapor. Every frown you ever showed on your face, he will turn and make a smile from glory. Every pain you ever suffered, unbelievable, inconceivable joy. Every cancer that's ever held any place in your body, as temporary as it may be, here on earth we think it's permanent. Every tumor in your body, growing or not growing, cut out or not cut out, has, has no dominion over your body or over your mind or over your soul. Because when you get your inheritance that God has promised you, and he doesn't break any promises, he never has, he never will. Praise God. We serve a living father whose son was sent, suffered. Listen, you can only call it suffering 33 years on this earth with a bunch of people like us, knowing ungrateful so ungrateful, you know, dense, thick, and then heal people of blindness, heal people of deadness, folks. Does it get any worse than that? Deadness, Lazarus in the grave, surely he stinks. Oh, why didn't you come sooner? And Jesus shed a tear, or many tears. Oh. When will you people learn? I'd have been stupid too. I'd say, Father, don't open that up now. I know how that smells. 
Lazarus, come forth. The word of the Father, don't you understand? This is the inheritance that we get. That right there, but here's the thing. No more death. No more pain. No more tears. The cancer in your body, the, the, the cancer in your bloodstream, the, the, the heart disease, the high blood pressure, all those things, they are a temporary thing of a, of a broken world, and it won't be long, my friends. It will not be long, and for some of us it will be a shorter time that, boom, you are gone. From here on earth, the bounds of this earth have no claim to you when the Father says, my son, it is time, and you're coming with me. No more pain. Don't live broken here on this earth. Don't do it. Don't waste your time here living broken on this earth. The Father has so much more for all of us because we are inheritance. We are in his family. We're his, and no one can separate us. No, they can't. Not cancer, not heart disease, not diabetes, not anything. That truck, everybody seems, the bus, I think it's a bus. Oh, I might get hit by a bus tomorrow. Folks, look out for buses. It's that simple. Look out for buses. I hate to be the one to break the easy news, but look out for buses. Don't walk out without looking for a bus. Oh, I might get hit by a concrete truck. Folks, they're loud and they're big. You can see them. Don't text and walk. There you go. I've saved a lot of lives right now. You're welcome. Kepha uses three words. Peter uses three words to describe the surety of the believer's inheritance. Our inheritance will not decay, my friends. It will not decay. The word incorruptible means that our inheritance is not subject to decay. Thayer defines it as not liable to corruption or decay, imperishable. Our inheritance will not spoil and waste away. You point to anything. You point to anything here on earth, and I don't care what it is, it is going to decay. But our inheritance from the Father, it won't spoil, and it won't waste away. It is being held for us in heaven. Our inheritance will not become defiled. Here's the second word. First was decayed, the second is defiled. The word undefiled speaks of being unsustained or unpolluted. Our inheritance is pure, and it will remain pure. The same word is used to speak of the purity of Hamashiach, or Jesus Christ. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. You can go to Hebrews 7.26 if you don't believe me on that. Here's the third word. Our, ooh, ours is an inheritance, folks. It won't dull. It'll never lose its shine. We are assured that our inheritance fadeth not away. Now this phrase was used to describe a flower that didn't wither or die. Isn't that something? That it was describing a flower. Not a brassy uh, chalice or something like that. that we, we like it to be shining. I like my truck to be shining. I do. I like it to look shiny. I like it to look new. Stably would say, what you doing wasting your time wasting water on a Ford? But I do it anyway. This flower, instead of withering and dying, it maintained its beauty and fragrance. Don't you love fresh flowers? How many of you have ever been to a, a place where there's a lot of flowers and beautiful, beautiful stuff, and you walk in, and you don't ex listen, one of the most beautiful things about going to Bermuda, the island of Bermuda, 18 miles from tip to tip, folks. One of the most amazing things is you have to ride a scooter there, you know. You can take a, tab, a cab if you're wealthy. Most people don't have cars there. First of all, the roads are tiny. So you, you rent these little scooters, and I'm telling you, the best thing about that is, number one, if you get from where you're going, where you're, where you're leaving to where you're going alive, hey, good for you, because folks there, they're, they're happy and free. And, and by happy and free, I mean they don't pay much attention to their driving on these little things. But the most beautiful thing is, boy, you breathe in. You breathe in, and you smell all those beautiful flowers. I was there some time ago, and I, I had a – there's this place I, I saw, and I said, oh, they make perfumes. And you – you tell them about what you want to make, who you want to make this. Well, I had a little daughter, and her name is Lily. And I went in that place. I said, "Hey, I have a daughter named Lily. Could I, could I, could you make a perfume? We'll describe her." And as I was describing her, they made a, they, they made a perfume. I, I still have some of it at my house. It's amazing. It was for me, not perfume. It's cologne. Trust me on this, cologne, to remind me of her. But that smell, and everywhere you looked every day, you wake up in the morning, whether it rained at night or, or didn't rain at night, 
all you have to do is breathe in. You smelled honeysuckle and, and, and the most beautiful fragrant flowers you ever smelled in your life. My goodness. And so bright and vivid, the colors, they didn't seem to. And every single day I was there, I thought, I'm going to see a dead flower today. I'm going to see one looking like it's almost on its way out. Not one day. Not one day. And you know what? We get to heaven. That's every day. That's every day. Our inheritance will never lose its splendor. You ever get something? You're all excited. Man, I can't wait to have this. I'm going to get this thing. Can't wait to get it. As soon as I can get it, I'm going to be happy, happy, happy. Then you get it, guess what happens? After a while, it gets a little boring. gets a little old. And then what do they do? They come out with a commercial. About 10 minutes after you get you your thing arrives at your house, it's the latest, greatest thing. Then you flip on the television, and they say, oh, look, that was the latest, greatest thing. But guess what? That's nothing. Look what we got now. And then you're like, oh, man, that took its shine right off. Mm-mm, no. It's going to shine forever. It's never Our inheritance is never going to lose its splendor. Its splendor and its beauty will shine throughout the endless ages. Time will mean nothing. will shine, and it will shine, and it will shine. Kepha, or Peter, he assures us of, that this inheritance is reserved in heaven for you. You ever go to a restaurant? And you called ahead, you made the good step of going ahead, and there's a whole big line of folks outside standing. Whether it's hot outside or cold outside. Boy, you said, man, I want to go to this restaurant and get me some of this good food. And you go up there and you say, oh, man, look at that line. It's going to be an hour and a half, two hours wait, I bet. And then your love wife or your love husband says, uh, no, it won't. You watch and see what we do. Watch, watch what we do here. And you go in and say, uh, two for greener. That's G-R-E-E, and greener, like greener in the grass. Why is that so hard? I don't understand. And then you look down, they've got it spelled like seven different ways and crossed out, whatever. I don't know. Greener seems like an easy name, but whatever. They get it wrong. I always correct them, help them out on it. Greener, like greener in the grass. And they say, oh, yeah, there we go. We have your table waiting for you. We had it reserved. Someone made a reservation. But did you know that the word reserved is a military term that speaks of something being watched over? Or guarded? Did you know that? It's a military term, reserved, watched over or guarded. Kenneth Weiss said this, heaven is the safe deposit box where God is guarding our inheritance for us under constant surveillance. You see, nobody is going to heaven to take away what's there for you. I've said this before. I've said it before thousands of people, and I've said it before too. Ain't nobody's inheritance for anybody but them. Your inheritance, nobody's coming to take your inheritance. Nobody can get it. Why? Because the ultimate number one guard. Nobody's going to heaven and going to take it away from the Father. He set it aside for you. He's reserved it. He's protecting it. He is cherishing your inheritance more than you realize you have. He says, oh, yeah, it's tough there now. I know it is because sin. Somebody, somebody went ahead and bit on that fruit. I told you I'll stay away from that tree. But, oh, man. Wait till you get here, because I did heaven perfect. I let y'all have a little bit of dominion over that little earth experiment there, but I got heaven waiting for you. And you say to yourself, man, I got to get up there quick, because somebody's going to take my inheritance. It's for nobody but you. Their inheritance, that's for them. Their blessing, that's for them. Their journey, that's for them. That's for them. Yours, your trials, your sorrows, your fears, those are yours to bear until. He's got it reserved for you. No wonder Yeshua said this. Lay, I love this verse. <laughs> Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through or steal. Matthew 6, 19 to 20. Nobody's, get, nobody's getting into heaven, folks. Picture the biggest vault ever in the world times that times one quadrillion. I don't even think that's a word or a number. I'm not good in math, so just picture something real big. And then times that times the biggest number you can ever think. That's the vault. Nobody's getting it. Nobody's getting it. It's being held for you. Nobody's getting in there. First Peter 1.5, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Our eternal security rests in God's power to keep us, and I trust him. Folks, that's real security. As long as the believer's security is dependent on God, we will get to heaven. Let me say that again. As long as the believer's security is dependent on God, we will get to heaven. Listen, folks, stop recreating God in your own image and believe he is what he said he is. Believe 
He is what he said he is and in what he will always be. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That's Jude 124. As believers in Hamashiach, or Jesus Christ, our salvation is the surest thing we have. Listen, folks, you can wander around this earth wondering what you can put your faith in, what you can put your trust in. I'm here to tell you there ain't nothing as good as Christ. There's nothing as good as God. There isn't. We say, we say, oh, so-and-so let me down. Listen, most people listening here, here and all around the world, folks, you've been let down by somebody close to you. Whether it's that spouse of that 25-year marriage, the lady that had that 25-year, let down. Let down, man, that's devastating. That's devastating. Some, some folks have been let down by their parents. Maybe their parents are past. Maybe they're gone. And you're trying to heal from it. Maybe you got let down big time. A dear friend, a sibling. A work person, person you work with, somebody you were close to, somebody you trusted, you got let down. Don't let that change. Don't let that change what you think about God. He does not let you down. He will not do it. He won't do it. Salvation, folks. If you believe in Christ, the surest thing you'll ever have is Christ. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. That's John 6, 37. A little later our Lord said this, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. John ten twenty eight. Let me just tell you something, folks. He didn't say any man but the, the big one. Maybe there's a big guy. Maybe he looks good looking. Maybe he's dressed nice. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's scary in a dark house. No, he said, any man, no man, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Once you're his, you are his. Nobody's coming to get you. Nobody's coming to take you away. That person that that terribly let you down. I don't minimize the letdowns and the, the hurt and the, and the heartache that happens here on earth. I'm telling you, it is real. It is real. I don't minimize that at all. It is absolutely real. But stop living in that and start living in glory. Because God said, once you believe in me, you'll have me. And nobody's taking you away from me. I guarantee that. The rejoicing in our sorrow. Man, that is hard to say. Rejoicing in our sorrow. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season. If need be, you are in heaviness through manifold tations. That's First Peter one six. Folks, that's apples and aardvarks to most of us, right? You don't normally see those two things put together, rejoicing and sorrow. But when you are a Christian, things are different. Oh, but for God, things are different. Notice that the believer doesn't simply rejoice, but he can greatly rejoice. We can greatly rejoice through experiencing manifold temptations. The word manifold, what it means here is various or different kinds. The idea is that no matter what comes at us, we can still rejoice. No matter what comes at us, we can still rejoice. Kepha or Peter, he wrote this during some of the worst, most horrifying persecution that God's people have ever faced. These words were written during the rule of the wicked Roman emperor Nero. Nero hated Hamashiach, and he hated Christianity with a passion. And it was during these times that people were dipped in tar. I'm kidding you not. Read some history. And set on fire. They were dipped in tar and set on fire for Nero's gardens to be lit. Human bodies put up on a stake, dipped in tar, and set on fire. That's what his gardens were lit by. He hated Christians so bad. He hated Christians so much that Christians were wrapped in freshly slaughtered animal skins and fed to the dogs and wild animals. Believers were dropped into cauldrons of boiling oil. And I want to remind you, it was during this time, during this time of terrible, awful persecution, that Kepha himself was put to death. Toward the end of this book, 1 Peter, 1 Kepha, Peter writes this, You will have to suffer only a little while. After that, God, who is full of grace, the one who calls you to his eternal glory in union with the Messiah, will himself restore, establish, and strengthen you and make you firm. He doesn't delegate that task, folks. He says, and in union with the Messiah, will himself restore, establish, and strengthen you and make you firm. Did you pick up on this phrase, 
that you have a little while, you have suffered a little while. You see, our focus here on earth is is sometimes we get stuck on here and now. But this is talking about don't don't trouble yourself with here and now. Don't trouble yourself with here and now, but with what comes after. We can greatly rejoice in these manifold temptations because we know that it is only for a little while. We used to have a saying in the military, the next 30. Survive the next 30. 30 seconds, 30 minutes, 30 hours. Just keep surviving. Keep fighting, keep surviving. The next 30. Don't worry about what it is now. Look ahead. Look ahead. Come on, another 30. Suffering is only for a little while. Suffering here is brief when compared to our inheritance that lasts for all eternity. Look, I have a dear friend. I have a dear friend, man. This guy's dear. He's got a, such a golden heart, such a faith-filled heart. He's suffering. He's in such a struggle. He's a child of God. He loves Jesus. He walks with Jesus every day. His first and last thought every day is Christ. He's a, a great husband. He is an awesome father, and he's young. A couple of years ago, he was physically vibrant. I'm going to remind you, folks, the God of the mountain is also the God of the valley. And he's in a valley. Oh, how I and so many others all around the world have prayed that this terrible, terrible disease of cancer would yield to glory. The reason for our suffering. Even gold is tested for genuineness by fire. The purpose of these trials is, to, is so that your trust genuineness, which is far more valuable than perishable gold, will be judged worthy of praise, glory, and honor at the revealing of the Yeshua, the Messiah. Kepha uses the analogy here of gold being refined by fire, and I need you to understand some basics about refining gold. For raw gold to be purified, it has to be melted, and the dross, which is the junk, skimmed off the top. In order to do that, the gold must be heated to 1,900 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, once it's that hot, once the gold is melted, the impurities rise to the surface, and they skim them off. Man, that's hot. That's a lot of challenge. That's a lot. To go through. God does the same thing with our faith. He allows our faith to be entered into the fire. He allows these trials and afflictions into our lives for the purpose of burning off the impurities and leaving us with pure, genuine faith. I don't know how many of you have been at the bedside of a dying person that you love. It seems like I've been through, I've been to an awful lot of them. They say that's, that's the preacher's, that's the preacher's, that. That's the thing you carry is the suffering of, of your flock, of the people that you pray for. I count it as a privilege. Oh, man, to preach a person that knows Christ, preach their funeral? Do you even know? Do you need, Look, it's sad. It is sad, especially when I know the person, I love the person. It's terribly sad. It's sad when you see the family suffering. I told you about that funeral I went to, my, my friend Jeanette and, and the Baylors, such awesome people. Just awesome people. I'm going to tell you, I was at the funeral. Their 25-year-old son, Jeanette's 25-year-old son. I knew this kid from when he was just little, just born. Gone. And it's powerfully painful. It's powerfully painful. But I know this, and everyone in that family knows this. Jeffrey's in heaven. Jeffrey's in heaven. Wouldn't trade, would not trade, not... Not for two seconds, if only to say, hey, y'all don't even know what's coming. You don't even know how. Listen, stop worrying about all that mess down there and stop worrying about me because let me tell you what, I ain't coming back. I got a special pass. I got just, and I made sure it was a two-way ticket. I don't want to be stuck back down here. No offense, y'all are nice. You don't even know what it's like up here in heaven. You get here, you never want to leave. You think, what in the world was I trying to hold on for? What's the matter with me sitting around uh, clinging to my sorrows and clinging to my, trying to live a little while longer? Oh, if you only knew. Oh, the Bible doesn't even do it justice. No offense, God. You don't even know how beautiful this is.
without having seen him, you love him. Without seeing him now, but trusting in him, you continue to be full of joy that is glorious beyond words. And you are receiving what your trust is aiming at, namely your deliverance. Here's our blessed hope. The Bible says that we might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Yeshua Hamashiach. You know what? Some of us just might live. We might be alive when the lightning strikes from east to west. As as quick as it splits the sky, we're alive. Some of us might be. Some of us might be. I don't care if I am or I'm not, although I would like to see, kind of, I'm curious, a little. You know how I like to be around dangerous things. Uh, but there's people in here shaking their heads said, not me. Come on, Lord. Even so, come quickly. Come on. Listen, that's the right attitude. I'm sorry to tell you now. If you have that attitude and you eat bad, you smoke cigarettes, you drink to excess, and you do all these terrible things, and you juggle knives, lean back in your chair, you know, all that stuff, mess around with that, you know. Listen, don't try to end it quicker because God gives us life and we're, to, we're a treasure. It's precious. Otherwise, why would there be wonderful doctors? Look, I get it. I get it. But when it's your time, it is your time. Glimpse of heaven. It's not a fairy tale. It's not, it's not a cartoon. It's real. Now, listen, folks die. I'm going to be speaking. I'll be privileged to be there with you guys and some others listening uh, at, a, at a Gold Star uh, Grief Seminar weekend conference. And I'll be delivering each of those three days, and, and I have some powerful things to say about grief. Listen, gold stars, folks, you need to know. They, look, people, I had somebody tell me this other day. My goodness. I almost, I, I almost could not contain myself. They said to me, they said, well, they ought to know, you know, that there's, they, ought to prepare, they ought to be prepared for that, right, these parents and the, the husbands and wives of the people that are in the service over at war. You kind of have to prepare yourself. can't be that big of a shock, right? So you've got to prepare yourself. I had to shake my head. One of my dear friends, she told, I asked her, I said, what is the craziest thing somebody said to you after your son was taken in battle? She said, oh, my goodness. A dear Christian lady. Should have known better. Wasn't from the backwoods. I mean, she knew better. She was educated. She said to me, oh, honey, I know what you feel like. Oh, my goodness. I know your pain. I do. You know, three years ago, my cat, My cat passed away. I know just exactly how you feel and was serious as could be. This is raw. This is fresh. Tell you something. This doesn't have anything to do with this sermon, but you better look around for your gold stars and love on them. If you don't know the right thing to say, love on them. Brutal. Brutal. But let me tell you, that's what heaven is for. That's what our faith is for. We... What in the world would be the point if Christ be not raised? It, that grave is empty. It's empty. That borrowed grave is empty. As sure as I'm standing here, I can tell you, the grave is empty, and heaven is full, and it's going to get fuller when God says, it's time, son. It's time. Come on. Hey, look here. You'll see a pair of loafers just sitting right here, maybe some smoke coming off of them. I don't think it'll let me take my gun. I won't need it. But this is the day that every faithful believer longs for. Some see that day much sooner than others. And to us, when someone dies so young, it's an injustice. Yet. Shaul or Paul admonished us to be looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Yeshua Hamashiach. You can find that in Titus 2.13. I want you to notice that phrase, looking for, (coughs) excuse me, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Yeshua Hamashiach. Look at that phrase. This and many other passages teach the imminent return of Hamashiach. The word imminent means impending or looming. Now, concerning the rapture, it means the church could be caught up immediately or at any moment. Do you understand that? Any moment. I might not even finish this sermon. Some of you out there are praying, oh, Lord, come quickly. The scriptures continually tell us. It admonishes the believers to watch, be ready, to expect his return at a time when you don't think it's coming. To understand this early church back then when Shaul was writing these things and saying these things, the imminent return was the hope of the early church. They were, please God. Please, God, they're, look, they're dipping us in, in tar 
and using us as 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 torches to light their gardens at nighttime. You don't think Islam is a problem? They're doing the very same thing with Christians today. Listen, folks, you better get smart. You better get smart about one of the things I think is most wrong. With, with the Christian church, the postmodern Western Evangelical Church, is not enough of us are dying at the hands of those that choose to persecute us because of whose we are. So we have it easy. We have it comfortable. We have it comfortable. So none of us have a real concept of the persecution that these folks were going through as this is being written. There was a, a early church popular greeting. It's talked about in 1 Corinthians 16.22. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse on him. Maranatha, which you know it as Maranatha. And what it means is, our Lord, come. Scriptures and the apostles express their belief in the imminent return of Hamashiach for the church. Paul wrote this. His name is Shaul, but I'll get you trained on it. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a rousing cry, with a call from the one, from one of the ruling angels, and with God's shofar. Those who died united with the Messiah will be the first to rise. Then we who are left still alive will be caught up in the air, in the clouds, to meet with the Lord in the air. And thus, we will always be with the Lord. Praise God. The rapture is the next great event in the redemptive plan and purpose of God. Our Lord will literally return and visibly return to summon his people. And it will be a shout with like a trumpet blast, shofar is, you know, trumpet, stands for trumpet. The graves of every dead saint will give up its dead, and those still living at the time will be caught up with Hamashiach to ever be with him. What a day that will be. Jim Hill wrote an amazing song, and after we go off the air, we're going to sing this song. There is coming a day when no heartache shall come, no more clouds in the sky, no more tears to dim the eye. All is peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. What a day, glorious day that will be. There'll be no sorrow to bear. No more sickness, no pain, no parting over there. And forever I will be with the one who died for me. What a day, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand and he leads me through the promised land. What a day, glorious day that will be. I don't know how many around the world and how many here, but here I can see your hands. How many love going to the beach, sunrise and sunset? I lost a few on sunrise. A few people are like, mm, sunrise is early, right? I love them both. Those of you who follow my photography, you, you know that I love shooting sunrise and sunset. I love it. They call it the golden hour for a reason. The reason I love shooting sunrise and sunset so much is because I look up and I feel the sun. <coughs> Excuse me. And I think, oh, Father, this is nothing compared to what you will give me every day of my life in eternity with you. What a glorious day that will be. You know, I remember my mother. My mother is still alive. She just celebrated. We celebrated her, her 87th year on the earth. She's an amazing, amazing woman. I have to tell you, we, we sat at the dinner table with, with uh, my cousin Dave. Uh, no offense to my other cousins, but he is my favorite. He knows it. Everybody else knows it. I'm not ashamed to say it. Dave is awesome. And uh, my Aunt Jean was there and Ron and Judy and, and Allison and, and it, just, it was just full up. It was fun. It was just fun. My sister Kathy and Joe, and of course my mom, and we were grubbing on some food. And, I, and you know, I like to just kind of nudge my mom on a story, get her started on a story, hearing about her childhood. But when there's Aunt Jean there, Aunt Jean and mom, you know, she, she, she that's it. That's it from the siblings. They're all, all the rest have gone to their home and glory. So Aunt Jean and mom, this, you, but you know what? You get the real story when the sibling is there, Tama. I found out my mother was a little bit of a smart aleck. She was a little bit of a stand-up to folks. Now, she was the littlest one. 
Well, tell her I told you that. She don't like being called little. But she's tiny. And my mom apparently was the one that would stand up to folks and say, oh, no, you don't. Now, is that a shock to me a little bit? No. <laughs> but I didn't know she was like that when she was my age, or I would have probably repeated that to her a little bit here and there. Well, Mom, you know, you, you were like this. But here's what I learned about my mom and Aunt Jean and my great aunts and uncles and all of that. I used to, I used to, now this is going to come out weird. I used to really like going to my mom's side of the family's funerals. Isn't that weird? Don't you think that's odd? Party time. I don't mean party time as in let's get out the beer and whatever. Uh, but, there, hey, there could be some dancing breaking out. There might be some dancing. And before my great aunt Louise, who was a great poet, uh, truly a great poet, and uh, my great aunt Mary, my mom's aunt, oh, you get there, those ladies. Now, Aunt Louise, she was blind. But there come a time during that part after the funeral, you know, there was tears shed. We're not weird people. Then we sat to see them go. But let me tell you something. After the food, and it wasn't just, or after the funeral, it wasn't just the food that I was excited about. I did love the food. Now, that's home cooking. Eastern Shore, hmm, just wonderful food. They know how to eat. But you know what? Oh, man, those folks know how to celebrate a home going. That's what we used to call it, home going. And and I, I, at first when I was little, I'm like, you know, I'm little, I'm young here. I know I just saw one of my great aunts or uncles or cousins, whoever, up there dead. And now there's folks dancing and singing and playing music and singing hymns of glory. And then there'll be, there'll be hands raised and clapping. And, and then all of a sudden, the, 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 uh, there'll be a little lull in the music and the tempo and I'll hear a lot of <laughs> and sniffling a lot of eye wiping but you know you can cry through tears I said that on purpose and you can smile through tears because let me tell you something those folks shed tears they loved the ones that left they loved the ones that left but they smiled because they said oh they're going home to glory they're going home to glory because these people, not perfect people, by the way, but people of God. I remember looking around that room and saying to myself, my lands, these people are awful happy for a funeral. <coughs> Before they went, you better believe it. You better believe it. My, uh, I guess he was my, my mom's cousin, Ted, Ted Taylor, Dolly and them over at Star, Maryland. Now, he used to get me. I was just a little kid, and I was gullible, you know. Stars, everybody in Stars related to me. Just so you know, if you've ever been to Star, Maryland, then you must really be something. You must be observant because you literally drive through. It's it's my family, just part of the tale. And so here's the thing. But Uncle, oh, I called him Uncle Ted, but he's really my cousin. This man had a voice that, that I used to say to myself, it was he, he was singing to heaven. But it wasn't him singing to heaven. It was heaven, heaven singing through him. The old country church, they come time at a funeral or any other event. Come on, Cousin Ted. Why don't you go on and sing How Great Thou Art? Come on. Go ahead and sing it. No, 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 no. All right. Let me just tell you before I tell you about him singing How Great Thou Art. This is what he used to do to me. We would be at family reunions and events. By the way, also held in star. And he, I'd say, how's it going, Cousin Ted? And he would say, it's bad, Sean. Be looking around now. Be looking around because there's a lot of crime. Crime is rampant in Star, Maryland. I'm here to tell you. As the mayor of Star, now I believe him. I was a little kid. I believe him. Whole way home. I, the whole time there, you know, I'd be like looking around like, I'll catch one of these people. You know, criminals. I'm out here to catch them. I got boots and everything. He used to chuckle. He put on a serious face, and he'd walk away, and I'd hear that big old Bella laugh. <laughs> and then I'd ride home, like, Mom, you know, Cousin Ted, things, he says things are bad. He's the mayor of Star, and he says things are bad in Star. There's crime everywhere, Mom. we got to pay attention. What are you doing leaving your pocketbook up in this car? No doors locked. Windows down. 
Anybody could come through. It's a crime wave. Believed every word of it. I believed every word of it. Here I got a little bit older. I started to catch on. I thought, my family must crime because nobody seems to lock their doors or even roll their windows up. You know, everybody's pocketbook or billfold is just laying out everywhere. I just, man, he, I had the biggest laugh over that. But, oh, how I love to hear him sing. I love to hear him sing. I did. I, I halfway hated to go to funerals because it was sad, but then you had the celebration after. But you had Ted Taylor singing, How Great Thou Art. No music. He would stand up. He'd shake his head. He'd shake his boy. He would shake his head, and I think, is he trying to remember the words? Because I know he sung it about ten times. I've heard it at least ten times. I heard him sing it at least. He'd shake his head, and then he'd turn. He'd always look up. He'd always look up. No matter where we were in a church or in a fellowship hall, where he'd look up, and he'd smile, and he'd sing, "How great thou art." You'd be sitting there, enraptured. With this voice that filled wherever he was. I'm telling you, he wasn't a classically trained singer, but boy, he could sing. And I used to ask myself, what in the world is he looking at? Are the words written up there somewhere? What's he What's he looking at? And then he would sing it. I'd never see him look at another thing. And he'd sing. His eyes would be closed. But he'd have this big old smile on his face. About three-quarters of the way through that last stanza of that song, all you'd hear when he took a breath is, but if you looked around, you saw nothing but smiles through tears. And then I had to go to history. And I said, who's going to sing that? How great thou art. Who's going to sing it? Big shoes to fill. So we decided we'd all sing it. I figured out then where he was looking. He wasn't singing it for us, folks. He was singing it for God the Father who he knew he would see sooner rather than later. They called him Pop Taylor. Everybody did. Everybody in this little town called him Pop Taylor. Worked over at the school, helped everybody. Listen, the man was amazing. He was just amazing. Now, he, he was a prankster, but he was amazing. Could fix anything. Which was the biggest church around. It had to be held in another a bordering town, because no church would hold the number of people that would be there. <laughs> One day he was fixing on something, and he had a heart attack. And his wife, my cousin Dolly, wonderful lady, isn't she wonderful? Come on. Nicer lady you'd never want to meet ever in your whole life. You couldn't stand it if she was any nicer. Smiling all the time. God bless her heart. Now in her 80s, too. I remember we got the call at my house. It was nighttime. My mom's name is Louise, and they said, Louise, Ted has had a heart attack. They rushed him to the hospital. We don't know if he's going to make it. They did emergency surgery, and you know what? He said he made it. He made it through. And then he was on his way home. Wasn't feeling right. I don't know. I don't remember if he ever got all the way home or not. But then he died. I was in disbelief. I was a grown man when he died. I was a grown man. And I'm here to tell you, when my mother told me, I sat and I wept like a baby. And then I smiled through tears. I said, he's going to see that place that he looks when he sings that song. I'm here to tell you, folks, we won't be far behind. 
There's people listening to this broadcast tonight, and you know your name, that God is calling you. He is calling you home. And those of us who are here, who love you, who love to hear you laugh, to to see your smile, to hear your wisdom, to feel your hug on our neck, to feel your guidance to people around you, to see your humility. Oh, my lands. It'll be a hard slog for us. But because of your faith, glory awaits you. For people listening around the world right now, I'm asking you, do you have an understanding of this blessed hope that I've talked about tonight? Do you have that? Do you really, truly have that? I know the glorious day that will be. I know it. I'm telling you, I'm not deluded. I'm not under the influence of drugs. I'm not crazy that much. Nobody has tricked me. This is a pursuit of the Father that started when I was just before five years old. I thought about this when I when I wrote this sermon. You know, I mentioned my mom earlier. She's 87 years old. We don't get to live forever. She's ready. She's ready. You're not afraid. No fear at all. She says, I worry about kind of how I'm going to die. I'm a little bit of a chicken that way, but... But she said, I'm ready. Oh, to see the Father. That's my hope. My mom didn't trick me into placing my faith into Christ. It's a lifetime of study and pursuit and prayer and failing and falling and finding and learning and accepting that this is the true word of God. I know in whom I've believed and I know he's able. This is my blessed hope. I have to ask you, is it yours? You don't want to go too too much farther in life without resolving this question. Because I'm going to tell you right now, it's the most important question you'll ever answer. The difference is, a lot of times we get do-overs. In the natural, we get a do-over, don't we? Sometimes we mess things up. We have a lot of school teachers and stuff here. All right, I messed that test up. Is there any way I could do a makeup test? Any extra credit? Okay. This is the most important and last question you will ever ask yourself. Are you ready for eternity? Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, at www.drshawngreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight.